0: A Radio 1 91FM podcast. And I'm about to play out an interview that I did with the wonderful and charismatic Arise Katki. Arise Katki is a multidisciplinary artist and textile practitioner based in Auckland, New Zealand. Drawing from historic and social research, he addresses his value for craft sensibilities through a research-driven contemporary practice. Over the duration of his career, Kaki has focused on the significance of materiality in the domestic realm through personal processes of fabricating textiles and ongoing engagement with the narratives of those textiles. With a background in art history early childhood imbibed in the values of the craft, uh, Kaki developed a practice based on instinctive responses to textile and fibre research, often juxtaposing the ephemeral, ephemeral, synesthesic responses to his environment with a subjectivity around formal processes of fabrication. Um, his works have been quite fantastic, truthfully. Um, he did a wonderful piece of work uh, that we have on display right now, or collection of works. Um, after visiting Mumbai for 10 months, he created a body of work called Buildings Roman, a narrative that surveys the depths of domestic materiality whilst investigating issues around identity, spirituality and sexuality um, traversing his genetic landscape um, uh, across Persia and his birthplace in India, the work was exhibited at Malcolm Smith Gallery in the eastern region of Auckland, where Kaki was raised, and has been touring Aotearoa through 2019 and 2020, and we're very lucky at the moment to have it here. Uh, The Otago Museum picked it up, and it's currently displaying in the Skinner Annex until the 9th of February. So you have a good amount of time to still catch it. I would thoroughly recommend it, but the best testimonial for that is just going to be hearing Aries talk about his life and his craft. Uh, So... Uh, please enjoy this interview with the wonderful Aris. Uh Kia ora Aris. um it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Um, I guess the first question is just, you know, how are you going? You've had this exhibit, Buildings Roman, that's travelled around New Zealand and now it's in Otago. Um, uh, how are you feeling about um, the exhibit at the moment? Um, kia ora, Russ.
1: Um I'm feeling rather good about it. It's been, um, I suppose, quite the journey and, and the, the, the trophy that um, the title of the exhibition Takes After is pretty much indicative of, of that sort of thing, and it, it, was, it was just quite wonderful um, and o- otherworldly to see that actualized um, through the actual tour of the exhibition, which, you know, will continue beyond February um, as well when a um, uh, significant portion of that collection goes, um, goes internationally. And, hmm.
0: Well, no, wonderful um, I guess then there's just it's, it, it's nice to hear that Although you've travelled around the whole country There's still so much more potential For the work to be viewed and understood um, And I guess for, in that sort of sense There is a lot to unpack you. with your work um, I understand you created uh, most of the work While you were on a 10-month residency um, in India And sort of considering um, I understand that your um, Parsi heritage um, How did the trip uh, and the residency Inform the way you create your art?
1: I suppose it didn't inform the way I created the work until I got there. Um, I really had no sort of set um, format mm. in terms of the way I wanted to create new work. I simply had a um, sort of timeline, with a loosely um, dictated timeline from um, the gallery with which I um, you know, had agreed to exhibit a significant body of work, and uh, of course the curator with whom I was um, in contact with, um, Zoe Black, and I'm still so indebted to for um, all the amazing, um, you know, administrative and also, um, I suppose, like creative work around the exhibition format that she um, assisted assisted me with, um, and, and contributed to herself. But um, yeah, essentially, once I got to India, I. I think that I had to spend a significant amount of time in the first month and a bit just adjusting, um, because I apart from the year uh, when I was born um, in Mumbai, I'd never actually lived in India. and um, it, was, it was somewhat, you know confronting hmm. to return to the place of one's provenance, of one's birth, and, uh, and then to realize certain things about one's identity through that. Um, and it was at the age of, uh, you know, 28 when I did that, and I was turning 29, which was quite poignant, so it was Saturn's return. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it all kind of felt very um, stars aligning type of thing. Mm. Um, and essentially, once, once I was there, once I got my hands in some material and engaged with um, heritage cloth, that was of both domestic as well as, um, I suppose, um, social um, fiber. Mm-hmm. So you can you can say from the you know riotously embroidered um, opulent scaras and gowns and saris to domestic cloth that was also handwoven and treated with, in my opinion, just as much warmth and care. Um, and and deserving of the kind of reverence that I've tried to give it. Mm. Um, I suppose the the journey began when I realized certain things about identity and certain things about class and politics, um, and I wanted to break them down and somewhat conflate the two favorite aspects of both. Um, The warmth of hand embroidery, but taking away the, the hierarchy of uh, you know silk and um, the politically conflicted nature of how these things are acquired and yes. um, woven and um, traded um, and then and then yeah completing that with um, the warmth and the the generous materiality of uh, domestic cloth the dust mm. rag the tea towel and the handkerchief so once they, once I found those elements um, yeah. and found a way to Celebrate
0: both of them together. Uh, I think that's when that's when you know I just it, it pulled out of me. Because hmm. you, 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 when I was viewing the exhibit, it did feel like a, a marriage of two worlds, which um, was very pleasantly evocative of the, the the very core belief of Zoroastrianism, which I understand is was the Parsi religion as to why they left Persia in the first place. Um, and yeah. considering that sort of cosmological duality. Um, do you do you identify the duality in your own work as a defining feature, or do you think that, sort of, un, you know, um, without quite realising it, that was exactly what you were headed towards um, by the time you actually got to your residency in India?
1: Well, I think that in terms of, like, the Rastrian identity, spirituality and, um, and religion, I just couldn't see any way... Around, you know, not addressing it and not fulfilling some sort of, um, you know, curious urge to uh, excavate and um, examine, or rather re examine, um, certain belief systems that were, you know, imbued and uh, almost imposed Mm -hmm. uh, since since I was a child. Um, Being the only son of, A family that comes from um, priestly lineage, of whom there aren't very many, and there aren't very many Europeans alive in general, Mm. Um, but coming from that type of lineage, um, it involves a lot of pressure from from the patrilineal um, sort of uh, inheritance of uh, spiritual rights and a sort of title that we're given, the Erva title. Um, once a child is um, inducted into the priestly lineage after having um, set a series of very, very isolating and rigorous and um, almost traumatizing, actually not sort of quite traumatizing um, mm. rituals. And, um, yeah, to re-examine all of that was definitely something I, I felt the need to do, if not for my audience, but than, than just you know for myself um, to consolidate certain aspects of um, trauma and perhaps you know disillusionment around it mm. um, and to pick apart the things that I didn't like but also not disregard the things that I thought were poignant and worth celebrating within the um, the structure
0: mm. of religion. It sounds uh, nearly as though a a reconciliation, if you will, of that part of yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah, a consolidation, a reconciliation, but also not necessarily a promotion.
0: No, understandably.
1: It was for me to step away after having looked in. Um, I still don't claim to be a practicing zoroastrian, I'm I'm not. Mm -hmm. Um, I simply have that running through my blood. And I think that one of the strongest things a person can do when they live in Aotearoa or in any place that was colonized and has a diasporic identity, mm. the, the, the first thing that decolonization, um, the first thing that one can do to incite decolonization is to reconcile these things within oneself before they... Or at least before I might manage to um, externalise some of these um, desires, um, to, to consolidate these things within oneself, um, felt apt and important um, before I, you know, can begin writing or making and addressing other other issues.
0: No, entirely understandable. I think that um, decolonization and the more postcolonial structures that are beginning to appear, uh, especially in the art world. Um, can lead to really interesting projects, such as what you have created as well, but I imagine there is a process that you have to go through even to get to that point in the first place where you have to understand and appreciate um, your own scenario and the scenario of everyone else around you.
1: Yeah, I think that the, uh, the scenario is built around both um, identities and the ones that are visible if and when they're communicated in my opinion from a personal trajectory mm. and they begin at the root rather than at the, um, the wider um, effect this is where I think I wanted to begin because mm. um, it's what I know best and it, it just felt as if um, you know if I started going into lots of Saeed and you know um, began quoting and citing um, authors that and theories that, that you know would have would have been very constructive. And, and of course I've, I've looked at them, but but if I were to overtly cite them, and if I were to look at things outside of my own story, um, for this particular project, I felt like it would be doing it a disservice. So I decided to keep it more or less internal. And then my second um, exhibition in New Zealand, um, there was one in Greece in between, but my second one in New Zealand, which was um, at Room Gallery, um a solo in um October last year I believe. And um that that one began to look at things wider in terms of issues um and globalisation and, and global identities. But for mm. so this 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 initial project, um this initial solo exhibition it just felt quite important to um uh to examine inward mm.
0: that's and I mean I think that it's as you describe it sounds as though you know the way the works progress um when i see buildings roman or when i was walking through in particular um and you spoke upon the um the the materials you use and how they're ethical um in your work as well and where they're sourced as a, as, a, as a, you know as a point of difference um the the really lush color that you add to your work especially in um my favorite one was probably self portrait blue desk and i really liked blue bathing um in pink as well these really lush colors and these really abstract human forms that you've added that um are so distinct and especially in the textile form as well as sort of embroidered onto the work um looking at where the work comes from within you and creating these works how do you perceive yourself with the self-portrait one as well. It was it was fascinating to see how I imagine you do perceive yourself in these environments. But how do you see yourself in your own work?
1: That's an interesting um, question that can perhaps be linked to one of the um, the journal extracts which were um, published in a booklet that, that went along with the exhibition. Mm. Um, I think it was entry number two, if I'm correct, but I'm not sure. Um, it was but, but referring to the self-portrait, it was to do with a story um, or, or a rather fragmented um, memory that I've retained. Um, and it, it had to do with the um, very pale powder blue laminated surface of that desk. The desk was built by my great-grandfather and then laminated by my grandfather uh, upon the request of his wife, my grandmother. Um, because, um, yeah, it was just too stained and um, they decided to just laminate a lot of the the surfaces in these very, very iconic pasty colors, these very pale blue and pink tones um, that can be sort of seen around the exhibition space as well as in my um, ancestral home. Um, And, um, yeah, the the desk itself uh, was an important icon for me. Um, It almost felt like a plinth. Um, Because, as a surface, it was evocative of so much that had gone on uh, in my early childhood including a particular event that was recounted in that journal extract, uh, which um, I'll I'll give you a brief description, it was basically me having my first experience of dressing up in women's clothes (laughs) as a seven-year-old with my sister and my cousin and um, feeling extremely safe and Mm. protected and um, cared for in that state of vulnerability. It felt as though my masculinity was suspended in the, um, in the environment that was created um, mm. while I was on that desk as a child. Um, it, it, it became an enigma. And so the self-portrait with the blue desk is more along the lines of the self-portrait of that contemplative moment um, you know, how many other years later, 20 something years later, um, when hmm. I decided to move back into that house, except that this time it was empty, I was alone, I was a man and I was extremely hot, which is, <laughs> it was, you know, Mumbai and, uh, probably 28 degrees, even, hmm. even, you know, in the middle of, um, the night. Um, and there's a mirror across from where, um, the chest sort of sits, um, and I did a series of drawings of myself um, sitting across from, from that desk, um, sitting on a chair that was also built by my grandfather um, because they were wood, 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 woodworkers or furniture makers, sorry. Hmm. Um, either way, they um, they also have little icons and pieces of um, my childhood that I decided to record myself within as a grown man and uh, to almost have this kind of, speculative um around how one fits within that world um, after having you know grown up in Aotearoa um, having come out as queer having had experiences that my family would perhaps not have approved of mm. um, had I have grown up in India or had I have grown up in the Middle East um, and um, yeah to, to just recount a lot of these effects
0: and causes that um, led to me becoming the person I am today. Wow. I mean, you know, I, I guess then the title of your exhibit overall could not be possibly more be more accurate. And thank you for sharing that story with us. That was um and now that you've explained it in that way, the work seems incredibly evocative of exactly what you described. Um, and I guess then to sort of round off how people might feel overall about the exhibit while viewing it. It sounds as though you've put mm. so much of yourself into what you've done, but it still feels as though it's near like a ties on experience and life in general and your experiences from childhood um, to growing up. So to talk about the photos that you have laid out in the sort of L-shapes uh, in the exhibit mm-hmm. and what those represent to you. That and was the-
1: idea. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. idea. Well, I mean, I mean, we worked on them together, but you know, that's that's a masterful touch on the curated part that that I would love to give her credit for. Oh
0: no, understandably, because um, it. it The whole exhibit feels incredibly well tied together in that fact that you have these works that you have created that are so personal to you and then also these images sort of depicting certain aspects of the livelihoods of the people that you sourced your material from or on your visit or people that, of course, you might be related to or experiences that they've had in the past as well. Um, I guess to sort of go from there, what do you hope people take from your work when they walk around? What do you hope people realize about themselves or their environment when they see your work perhaps the most um, important reaction
1: that I would have hoped for and still probably hope wasn't the exhibition you know, so on um, yeah. is that human stories and revealing the provenance or the um, the origins of, of what shapes us, whether it's a good experience or a um, cultural culturally specific icon um, they all feel contr- they all feel as though they contribute to the person that um, you know um, presents this, this body of work and um, I think that there's a universal message perhaps that I, I tried to um, communicate and that would be off um, a diasporic narrative that these stories they this one is just one of millions you know um, we, we all have incredibly poignant um, histories that, that perhaps aren't seen and communicated um, and, and perhaps don't have the privilege, privileges that I've had to, to talk about mine and um, and I feel extremely honoured to have done that and to have had the chance to do that. Um, but perhaps, yeah, it would it would be um, it would be that you know we live in a very diverse country, and um, coming from a certain heritage, one that is very rare and rarely seen yeah. um, in such a way, um, I, I just felt as though I, I needed to do it justice and also to, to give it the um, the egalitarian warmth. Um, that didn't promote or didn't celebrate um, all the very, very um, imperialist class structures that, um, you know, Parsi often um, connotates. The term Parsi is, you know, if you, if you use it in India, you know, it's, uh, the connotations are power, wealth, and all these, you know, post-colonial, um, rather problematic um, mercantile connotations that I, I perhaps don't always want to um, enlighten. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather focus on um, some of the the older history and, and the, the the provenance of um, my own sort of um, familial heritage rather than the, the wider socioeconomic structures um, of the community because there have been problems <laughs> around that.
0: No, understandably, and I think then. Um I mean, just the work is so. In that, after talking to you, I feel like I've learned a lot more about the exhibit, and I hope the people listening as well will also, if they experience the exhibit either before they hear this, or if they if they go after hearing you speak on it, I think hopefully will find the experience um, richer as well. But anyone who doesn't hear it doesn't mean they won't also have an amazing experience. I think, Um, and then I I do. Thank you. That's right. (laughs) I do have a little um, question in my head as well because I understand. Um, that you also create um, clothes as well, or rather, um, for a, for a, for a good amount of time you did. And I was wondering, when you approach an art piece versus when you approach an item of clothing, one that someone will perhaps mm. own or have a very personal connection to, versus something that someone you know uh, appreciates and experiences and then you know won't see it again, or perhaps will go back later. Um, what? how do you approach each one is there is there is there a very intense difference between the two or are there, are the experiences quite similar for you see that's that's quite
1: a um quite an interesting question one that I haven't been asked before um, because I've always or at least for the last um, few years my my garment making practice the hand of garments that I used to you know um they, they used to be my my living, I used to hand knit and create a short series of garments. Um, you know, since I was at university, and uh, they, they sort of just became these. I, I try to format garment making in in a way that was akin to art, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Where um, each piece um, was was numbered and editioned um, and signed, um, and it was a one off sort of thing, and i dye, die, sometimes extend the fibers myself, um, be very, very mindful of the provenance of the fibers, whether it was silk or, um, you know, the abundance of wool that we have in our wonderful country. Um, it was It was a very, very wonderful experience, you know, engaging with materiality. However, the format did not agree with me. Hmm. And it still doesn't agree with me because I think that we all have more than enough in our wardrobes and that we do not need to consume more. Um, and that is what led to me shifting from garment making to perhaps a more, um, speculative, um, uh, format of working, Hmm. which would be, um, through repurposed fiber and repurposed cloth Hmm. and, um, Really, really thinking about how much we're consuming by celebrating something that is completely worn out and tattered, and perhaps 200 years old. Like some of the fibers, um, some of the, the specimens in um, in building form, um, there are two panels with 200 year old, you know, cloth that was used as rags by my grandmother because they belonged to my great grandfather. These mm-hmm. um, you know, tunics, um, and I decided to to preserve them. Um, And that in itself, to me, um, and and I I hope to the audience, um, might communicate um, a sense of, um, you know, salvaging what we have and appreciating what we have rather than always um, chasing that capitalist um, mindset of constant acquisition and constant um, consumption.
0: Mm. Fascinating. I mean, understandable then. And it it is wonderful when you know, if you're sourcing both ethically and then also recycling materials, preserving certain aspects of yourself and your experience in a in a thing, which is often what people project onto the new things they buy, like you say. But to go through that process I think is very is very astute and very important. So thank you for um talking to us about that as well. Um, I guess and also thank you for talking to us in general Ares. it's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure um, uh, Buildings Roman closes on the 9th of February it is in the Skinner Annex at the Otago Museum and is well worth a look um, anything else you want to say to the people of Dunedin before you sign off um, Aries
1: oh well I am um, I'm not in Dunedin any longer I'm in Auckland now but mm. for the, uh, the few days that myself and my partner were in Dunedin. I just I just want to say what a beautiful place um it is. Um, what a wonderful city and um of course thank you to um, everyone at the Otago Museum who really just yeah, they um they really helped actualize um and went above and beyond um when it came to um, you know, helping us get around the city and, and all the things that entail um, that are entailed in, you know. Um, hosting an artist, I am very, very um, humbled by the uh, hospitality and the warmth that we received.
0: Oh. Well, that's wonderful. <laughs> um, well, yeah, well, mm. th- thank you so much for talking to us, Kia ora. Um, weird to sort of interject onto myself. Um, but that was the interview with Ariz Karki, who it was an absolute pleasure to talk to. Please do visit Buildings Roman across the road at the Skinner Annex. Um, it's a wonderful exhibit. It's really worth a look. And also, there's just so many great exhibits, you know, in general in Dunedin at the moment um, that you should go to. Especially at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery, of course, but also all the Weir galleries as well. I went to F29 or FE29 rather over the holiday. Not really knowing where I was going or what it was, not having been before, and that's a phenomenal place for art as well.